a listener production. So Jacob just took a break to go to the toilet and I'm recording secretly because he doesn't realise that I literally heard him do the longest wee. It just went on and on and on and on. And then I heard him flush and now I can hear him coming back closer and closer. Hold on. Is he back? I think he's back. (laughs) I can't wait to tell him. (laughs) I've just started recording. (laughs) (laughs) Rosie's just informed me that she (laughs) not only got to bear witness to (laughs) my... Excretion just now, but she's recorded it for all of you. That is not going anywhere, young lady. It's going in. It's oh, going no. in. Oh, I heard no, it. No. I was just sitting here quietly looking no. at my notes, and then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wait, Jacob doesn't know I can totally go to the toilet." And so then I quickly pressed record. I was like, "I'm like David Attenborough. I'm gonna record the whole thing." So I, I like sort of narrated um your journey from we back to desk. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> for the record, I used some hand sanitizer on the way to the fridge to get a beer on the way back in case you're waiting to listen to me wash my hands. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's going in. I'll kill you. I'll get Okay. No. Take it away, my dulcet donors. This is unacceptable. I need to We're talk opening. to HR. We're opening with it. We're opening with it. No. Oh, my God. Okay, we'll debate this later. Hello, Gistness. Welcome back <laughs> for another proper episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to bring up at a dinner party and Rosie Waterland, so help me God, I'm putting my foot down. You are absolutely not including any of that audio. But now you've said it, we have to. Everyone's going to want to know what it is. Oh, you can talk about it without actually releasing the full audio. Okay, look, Jacob and I are going to debate this later, but if I convince him to let me put the audio in, it will go here. (laughs) Ain't going to happen. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Who's in charge of editing, my friend? (laughs) And you're going to be in the wilderness at the very point at the top of Australia. I'm going to be so vulnerable. know that you never listen to the episodes. I'll just tell you I didn't put it in and you'll never hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So we have this. We have no breaking news because we just gave you a whole episode of breaking news, Mm. including Britney breaking news, which I hope was positive. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am doing... A just the gist today. Yes. <clears throat> Are you ready? Yes, I am. I've been sitting on this one for a few weeks because it's the one that I had ready to do before my body started breaking down because I'm um, old. Okay, here we go. Mm. <clears throat> In the early 1990s, mm-hmm. there was a huge scientific experiment carried out designed mm. to see if humans could survive in an artificial earth built inside a giant dome. Mm-hmm. And the aim was to eventually build these on other planets and the moons so that we could eventually live in space. Uh-huh. So with the backing of a billionaire benefactor, one of these giant fish tank-like domes was built in the US mm-hmm. and inside it was literally an ocean with tides oh. and waves and a rainforest and a desert and a mangrove and a farm with crops and animals and housing for people and laboratories. Mm. Eight humans lived inside it for two years. Oh. Now, this should be a huge moment in our scientific history that we learn about in school and stuff, mm. but hardly anybody has heard of it because it was a disaster None of it worked and they nearly died because (laughs) despite sounding very impressive, this experiment wasn't run by NASA or even scientists. Mm. It was run by a bunch of hippies in a (laughs) cult-like experimental theatre group who had no idea what they were doing. Today, I'm giving you just the gist of Biosphere 2. Oh, two? (laughs) Yes. It was the second one. Ah. Wow. Okay. So... I don't know anything about this, 
but mm-hmm. someone I know sent it through as a suggestion and I added it to my list after like quickly yes. glimpsing at something. And the first thought that I had was, okay, this must have been the inspiration for my favourite movie throughout the mid-90s called Biodome. Yeah. I haven't Did seen you know, that. It's a Paulie Shaw and Stephen Baldwin movie oh. and my friends and I were obsessed with it. Kylie Minogue is also in it in one of her finest performances, <laughs> I might add. Um, and, you know, the fact that it's a Paulie Shaw movie tells you a lot oh, about the and, type of genre. The more impressive of the Baldwin brothers. <laughs> Everyone's favourite, <laughs> Stephen. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. I even named my dog after one of the characters in that movie. That's how much Stop I loved it. it. Mm. So I'm so well, curious to see how much I recall from the movie that lines up to what actually happened in real life. <laughs> well, first of all, I will say you said Biosphere 2, so it's the second one. Mm. No, it's called Biosphere 2 because essentially... A biosphere is a um, like atmosphere mm. and a biological ecological system in which uh, human life can be sustained. Mm-hmm. So they're saying that biosphere one is Earth. Earth, right? Got it. Biosphere two is this thing <laughs> that they're building. So it <laughs> the was the shitty first sequel. That just yeah, <laughs> the, the shitty sequel to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> so here is just the gist of biosphere two. Now. Don't be put off by the fact it's science because let me tell you, there wasn't a lot of actual science involved. So (laughs) here we go. It all starts, of course, with a man with a giant ego who wants people to follow him. Mm -hmm. It's 1969 in San Mm -hmm. Francisco. All the young kids with a Z, they're all into communal living, hippie culture, counterculture, all that San Fran nonsense. San Mm -hmm. Fran was at the centre of all of that. It was like the centre of hippie nonsense. Mm -hmm. John Allen is the man I'm talking about. He's not young. He's in his 40s, but he decides that San Fran is where he needs to be. Mm. And he starts an experimental theatre group called the Theatre of All Possibilities. (laughs) And he manages to get a lot of young women to join the group, of course. And they put on plays which are very like high school style plays with shitty props where they talk a lot about consumerism and sticking it to the man, you know, like that kind of thing where the kind of thing we did in drama school where we took ourselves very seriously and thought we were saying something very important about society. Everything had a message, yeah. Yeah. So um, John Allen then decides, because it's what everyone was doing at the time, that they should all move in together and be like a collective, Mm -hmm. a communal living situation. Mm -hmm. Um, No word on where all their money was coming from, so I'm assuming it's all the middle-class kids that were joining. Mm -hmm. And straight, I'm going to be straight up here because it is, a lot of people have referred to it as a cult. A lot of other people haven't. But he is certainly the leader of this group. Mm-hmm. And he is the oldest. He hooks in a lot of very young people. I'm not sure if he was a creep in terms of sexual stuff with members, as so often happens when there is a male cult leader. Yeah. But a bunch of men did join. Mm. Um, but I did see interviews with women saying they had relationships with him. He ended up proposing to one of the young women who was 12 years younger than him. But she said he, she was really surprised that he asked because they'd never had any romantic link. Mm. And But she said yes, and they got married. But she said their marriage was part of carrying out an important project for the earth. Oh, for So she never said if they consummated their marriage or Mm. if he was consummating things with other people, but women who were in the group say they were in love with him. So, I mean, other people said he was a very controlling, narcissistic cult leader. Others say he wasn't, but, I mean, that is – I just feel like as soon as you say cult, you need to clarify what was going on there. So that's about as much as I could find out about that dynamic of Mm -hmm. the group. Kind of a cliched picture that you've painted there. Yes, pretty much. So they're all living together doing shitty theatre and they decide they want to change the world, man, but they don't want to be like all the other hippie groups that just get high and contribute nothing to society, a.k.a. the Manson family who had, (laughs) you know, been in the news and become very famous for sort of being like the ultimate end point of hippieism. Mm. 
so they decide we're not going to take drugs and they decide we're going to do things like we're going to do important things for the world Mm -hmm. and there's this amazing documentary I watched um, researching this called Spaceship Earth and at one point one of the women involved who was like 19 at the time in like the late 60s um, and I guess what would that make her now? Like, you know, 70s or whatever. I'm not good at maths. Yeah, thereabouts, yep. Yeah, so she's she's talking about like how she decided to get a little um, whatever their very early versions of video cameras were back in the 60s and she's like, I wanted to document what we were doing because mm. we were making history. It was important. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to some of the footage she filmed and it's just footage of them jumping around in a rehearsal space, like doing <laughs> acting exercises, like... <laughs> It reminded me a lot of in drama school when we had to do things like ballroom dance with chairs or like <laughs> pretend to be a teenage dolphin or, you yes. know, like just random. Pretend you're a butterfly emerging from a cocoon. Like yeah. they just, they literally just do that kind of stuff all day. And when you're in that kind of environment, you do take it seriously. You take it so seriously. Yeah, like, everyone takes it very seriously. Now I can't believe that I didn't just laugh my ass off all the time. I know. But when everyone's so involved and invested, then you do truly start to, you know, play along yeah. and commit. Well, do you remember there was that guy who refused to ballroom dance with the chair because he said, no, I just think this is idiotic. It makes me feel like an idiot. I'm not doing it. And after class, we we were all like, oh, we feel so sorry for him. Like, (laughs) he's never going to make it. (laughs) He's never going to make it. (laughs) He can't just let go, man. Like, he needs to just be free. He was like the only one of us who saw how stupid the whole thing was. (laughs) God, how embarrassing. So, anyway, they're doing that kind of thing for a while. Mm. But the scene, man, the scene in San Francisco, it got too commercial. So they get a bus and they drive around for a while and they find a piece of land in New Mexico, which is um, a very southern state of the US, mm-hmm. and they buy this piece of land. Again, I'm assuming just from money they're all contributing because John Allen, I don't know what he does. but mm. So they buy this piece of land and they, cur- they turn it into a ranch and they call it Synergia. And they name themselves synergists. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like just a a commune. They're living on a commune. They're learning how to plant their own food. They're trying to live sustainably, but with theatre, theatre all the time. They're always putting on shows for each other and themselves. (laughs) So. (laughs) Little kids. Yeah, they are. They're like little kids. So this billionaire hears about them. This billionaire is called Ed Bass and he comes from this like oil tycoon family and he's um, he's one of the sons of this family and he's kind of like the hippie of the family, you know, like he's into crazy ideas like saving the planet mm. and he calls himself an ecopreneur. And Uh so with all this money that he's inherited, he decides he wants to do like positive things for the planet, man. Mm. And so Ed Bass comes to visit Synergia and John Allen is no chump. He's like, this guy could be our meal ticket for a long time. So they Mm -hmm. turn on the charm. They are like, let's impress this guy. Like they're hippies, but they're not dumb hippies. Mm -hmm. So, um, he talks, John Allen talks to this billionaire, Ed Bass, a lot about how they're going to change the world. They're going to fix the planet. Like they understand that like, yes, they're hippies and they want to live an alternate lifestyle, but they also need to make money to be successful. So Mm -hmm. they want to get this guy on board. And Ed Bass, he loves it. Like he just soaks up their shtick. He's like, shut up and take my money. Let's change the world. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so he just gives the money to do things that John Allen says will be positive for the planet. Mm -hmm. Just whatever he decides. So they buy a ranch in Outback Australia Uh and they make that profitable. But in a moral way, man, it's like, you know, like extremely left-wing like billionaires try to act like they're really moral, but they're still billionaires. Like, like Mm. we are doing everything like morally better and superior and we care more about the planet than you do. And we're smarter than you are because you know what? They've got that kind of vibe. But I'll keep my exorbitant amount of money that no one would ever be able to spend in a lifetime because I just need it. Yes. Mm. 
They've got that kind of vibe. So they uh, make this ranch in Australia profitable. They buy an art gallery in London. They make that quite profitable. They decide they want to make a boat, like a massive kind of sailboat ship kind of thing. They have Mm. no idea how to do it. But one of their members, this 19-year-old girl, they're like, she's pretty smart. So they just let her design it and be head of construction. And it freaking doesn't sink. It doesn't sink. Uh So they start sailing that around the world looking for projects or businesses that are worthy of them. And so John Allen picks the things that he wants the group to do and then Ed Bass, the billionaire, gives them the money to Mm. do it. And so at this point it's um, now the 80s Mm. and the NASA space shuttle program has been like, all in the news. We've done an episode on the Challenger disaster, which you should go and listen to. And it's around this time that John Allen starts thinking, hey, like, let's start thinking about how we can get people living in space. And so he invites this scientist to come to Synergia to talk to them about the idea of a mini Earth inside a spaceship. Like, Uh he's like, I've got this idea to build a massive spaceship that can just travel through space and inside it's like you're living on earth. Mm -hmm. Like there's nature and trees and water and whatever. Um, And so John Allen gets super into this idea and then they start thinking about, okay, well, maybe not a spaceship. Maybe we can build those mini earths on other planets or the moon. And they have this motto, which sounds very Elizabeth Holmes to me. Mm. The motto is any idea that can be conceived in our time can be executed in our time. Oh. And it's like, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe with a billionaire's money, <laughs> which they have. And can we take a second to stop and pause and go, okay, maybe it could be executed in our time, but should it be? Yeah. like Should that with be all, our priority? Like, I don't see them trying to solve problems like homelessness mm. or, like, you know, a housing crisis or, um, you know, I mean, half of you know, kids living in poverty in the US don't have enough to eat. Like they're not taking care of actual societal structural problems that they could be making a difference there. Like it reminds me, I don't know why she kept coming to my head when I was thinking of this, but it's, it feels very Gwyneth Paltrow-y to me. Just like I'm rich enough that I get to care about pseudoscientific things that are way outside of your realm of understanding because I'm just on a higher plane. Yes. Yeah. You know? Totally get that. Yep. That's kind of their vibe. Ignore the real pressing issues like climate change and yeah. let's focus on something else that's a little bit more elitist and prestigious. Mm. Well, I mean, they do start to care about, they're caring about climate change in that they're thinking this planet is effed. Mm. There's no point trying to fix what we have here. Let's try and build figure out how to build this thing that we can put on other planets. Like that's their solution, which is stupid. Terrible mindset. (laughs) So this is where John Allen says, hmm, if Earth is the original biosphere, the original biological ecological system that humans can survive on, then Earth is biosphere one and we're going to build the second Earth, which will Mm be biosphere two. Mm -hmm. Or as you so deftly put it, the shitty sequel to (laughs) Earth. (laughs) And Ed Bass, the billionaire, is like, get effed. I love this so much. Let's do this because he is just under John Allen's spell. Mm -hmm. So they set up a company in 1984 called Space Biosphere Ventures. Mm -hmm. Ed Bass provides the initial $150 million. (laughs) They get other investors to chip in and they get started. Here's the thing, though. They are clueless hippies who are part of an experimental theatre group. (laughs) What could go wrong? (laughs) So they want to carry out a scientific experiment, the likes of which the world has never seen. They want to take hundreds of millions of dollars and build an entire mini Earth ecosystem inside a giant fish tank and they want to be in charge. Like members of an experimental theatre group insist on being the ones to run it all. So, I mean, I think it's a lot of it is hubris. They've been together since 1969. It's Mm. now 1984. They've been travelling the planet for 15 years, acting morally and intellectually superior to everyone around them, saying that they don't need official education because they've learned in the school of life. Mm. But, like, that's fine. I think that, 
you and I both know that a lot of university degrees are ridiculous ripoffs. Mm. Like we studied beat poetry and nonsense, for example, and now we host a podcast. But I mean, <laughs> there are some degrees that you need to go to university for. For example, science, mm. medicine, mm. things like that, like mm-hmm. architecture, engineering. Mm-hmm. You can't learn that in the school of life. <laughs> but I mean... I can't. So they're insisting that they know how to build this thing, but like it takes more than building a boat and performing beat poetry to native people in Botswana to understand how to develop science so complex mm. it hasn't actually even been achieved at this point, but they think they're going to do it. Mm. So John Allen is the boss of designing it. The woman who built the boat when she was 19, they're like, well, it didn't sink, so they let her be the head architect of Biosphere (laughs) 2. You can't just say you're an architect. Okay. This is what I feel about politicians, though. Right? The amount of people who are able to just enter into the political system without the relevant qualifications, without the relevant expertise, education, and then somehow they they end up in leadership positions. Like that year Tony Abbott was like, oh, yes, I've just made myself minister for women. Or like they hand, like the portfolio for education, they'll say so-and-so has the portfolio for education, but we've just swapped it out and given them the portfolio for housing. What do you know about those things (laughs) that you should be in charge of them? Right. It's nuts. The world is effed. Yes. And so that in the real world is so much worse than this, you know, little private Mm. venture that's going on that's only wasting one idiot billionaire's cash. But continue. (laughs) It's, it's, It's a nightmare. So this girl is designing it. I guess she's a woman by now. She's probably, I think she's in her 30s now. Another woman from the group, another Synergian, a group of the theatre of all possibilities, she is made the chief financial officer. And in the documentary I watched, reflecting back on this time, she says, she says, well, we, um, we had budgets. And then she says, it was quite corporate. I even wore nail polish some days. <laughs> and then there was a woman who they put in charge of finding all the plants and crops and rainforests and stuff to put inside. So she travelled the world to, like, find plants, to bring them back. It was very Noah's Arkish, like, mm. go out into the world and bring back samples that we will put inside the biosphere. She had no qualifications, but she does say... I was always the girl in the classroom who was in charge of looking after the fish. <laughs> so, you know, she's always she's always been connected with living things. <laughs> and so, that gives her the qualification to bring together different organisms from different ecosystems. Yeah, to, to replicate this the Earth's <laughs> biological ecosystem. Our our planet is so one in a billion. It is so unlikely that we will find another planet that could sustain our life in the next million years and mm. they think they can replicate it with a girl who looked after the fish in year four. Okay? This now, is- it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. I was still hung up on the girl who thought that she was a businesswoman because she wore nail she wore polish. She wore nail polish, I know. <laughs> She's the chief financial <laughs> officer and they're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay, okay. anyway. So um, they did hire, like, some scientists and botanists and stuff, but only as consultants. Mm. They wouldn't let them be in charge of anything. They decided, like, they could do it better. And this thing, when construction was completed... It did look very impressive. Mm -hmm. Like construction lasted from 1987 to 1991. So it took them a while. And when it was done, it was huge. And I mean, you should go and Google pictures of it, but it kind of looks like um, it's across like a few hectares and it just looks like a bunch of glass structures, like kind Mm -hmm. of like a bunch of giant fish tanks. It's Mm -hmm. all made of glass. I'll read you this um, description of what was inside. Its seven biome areas were a 1,900-square-metre rainforest, Mm -hmm. an 850-square-metre ocean with a coral reef. That's wild. A 450-square-metre mangrove wetlands area, a 1,300-square-metre savanna grassland, a 1,400-square-metre fog desert, (laughs) 
a 2,500 square metre agricultural system and a human habitat with living spaces, laboratories and workshops. And below ground was an extensive part of the technical infrastructure. So there was heating and cooling water circulating through independent piping systems. There was uh, passive solar input through the glass space frame panels covering most of the facility to help with power. More power was also supplied from an on-site natural gas energy centre. So Uh like... It, it does all sound pretty amazing, yeah. like, but a lot of the scientists, consultants they brought in to help kept quitting because they were like, yeah, that sounds good, but the technical intricacies, for example, of how water needs XYZ organisms mm. that come from the natural atmosphere to grow this, which will help plants grow, none of mm. that's going to work. You ha- you've thought about surface-level things. You haven't yeah. thought about the intricacies of how the planet works yeah. and the biospherians would just be like, la, 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 no, thank you. No, thank you. You're fired. Like, so they would not listen to any of it. Now, Ed Bass, the billionaire giving them all the money, he mm. has no idea about any of this. Like he's been totally sucked in by the group, particularly by the leader, John Allen. And so he thinks that this is a going to change the world, but B he's a capitalist. It's going to make him a lot of money because mm. he's convinced that the stuff they're inventing now is just scientifically out of this world, the absolute height of innovation. And one day NASA, um, Russia, China, whoever for years to come are going to want to use all the things they've invented mm. and he will own all the patents to all this stuff and it's going to make him a long-term richest person in the world. Because he needs more money. Well, yeah, exactly. Already a billionaire. <laughs> One area where they do hire actual professionals, though, is PR, of course. They Uh want good PR. So they launch a nationwide search for people who are willing to live inside Biosphere 2 for two years without being allowed out. They call them, they want eight Biospherians. I'm sorry, Theatre Group wasn't the ones actually going in. uh, See, they do, so they hold auditions that are like theatre auditions. Uh Not Uh even joking, the auditions, there's, video footage of it and it's just John Allen getting people to run around the room doing improv and stuff. And in the end and in the end they end up with eight people who were part of the group anyway. So there's I think it was all just a PR exercise. There's four men, there's four women, they're all white. They're all pretty upper middle class intellectually elitist hippies. Mm -hmm. One is the plant lady who looked after the fish, so she must be an expert. She's literally (laughs) in charge of growing things inside (laughs) Biosphere 2. There's another guy who they just refer to. They don't, uh, they don't tell us any qualifications. They never really, I think they never mention them because nobody really has any. Mm. They say he's a genius. Plus he knew a lot about closed systems from his experience scuba diving. (laughs) So we put him in charge of testing the atmosphere and the soil. Um, mm. You are an experienced scuba diver. Do you think you could be in charge of making sure an atmosphere and soil was working (laughs) properly on the planet? Let's give it a shot and see what happens. They do put an actual doctor inside, but there's a caveat. This doctor hasn't practiced as a doctor for a long time. He's mainly been a researcher uh, Uh for a while because he's 60 years old. He has dedicated um, most of the most recent portion of his life to the study of lengthening the lifespan by eating the lowest amount of calories possible. Uh He sincerely believed sincerely believed Mm. that he was going to live to be 120. So at 60, he was only halfway through his life. Uh Now, I will say here that I think he had a serious eating disorder. He looked emaciated. He looked very unwell. But also you can't tell if someone has an eating disorder just by looking at their body, but just the way he talks about food Mm. and ingesting calories and how much you don't need to eat, I find... I. I found it very concerning that this yeah. is the doctor they've chosen to take inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but they proudly described him as, and this is the person you want in charge of your health, basically your standard mad scientist slash avant-garde <laughs> theatre buff. <laughs> yep. Oh, I feel so safe in his yeah. hands with that description. They also had a guy who was just described as a guy who loved fixing things. Sent him in. Oh. Now they had, 
They did have an actual marine biologist. And from what I can see, she's the only person actually qualified to do the thing they brought her in to do. She was the one who travelled the world collecting coral and she built the coral reef that was inside the ocean that they mm-hmm. wanted to like see if they could maintain a working coral reef. Mm-hmm. John Allen, I think not surprisingly, was not going in. I mean, he didn't want to be stuck in there for two years. He wanted to be on the outside um, because he needed to run things, but also because mm. press at this point was going nuts and yeah. he wanted to be like front and centre. Yeah. So the PR had worked. The world became obsessed with Biosphere 2 and people were kind of treating it like um, an official spaceship launch while in the build-up to these eight Biospherians mm. going inside the Biosphere They were getting interviewed. They were on the covers of magazines. A fashion designer designed them bright red and navy jumpsuits that kind of Mm -hmm. look like, you know, what NASA dresses their people in. They Mm. looked like astronauts. Mm. It was, and it it really felt like they were going on a space mission. Like the press, the media loved it. Mm -hmm. At this point, because it had exploded in the media across the world, people who had been part of the Synergia group back at the ranch or part of the theatre of um, all possibilities started coming out of the woodwork talking about how it was a cult. They Mm. were like, John Allen is a narcissistic cult leader. This is weird. And Mm -hmm. scientists who'd left the project because they were like, none of this makes sense. You cannot do this. They started speaking up about how it was dodgy, but the PR firm worked really hard. And like over time, it was like people just kept oh oh what no we don't we don't want the negative stories this is just mm. really cool biospherians are a legit thing this is the science experiment <laughs> of our time do you want to get this Rue McClanahan <laughs> of the Golden Girls <gasps> even recorded Devereaux. a bunch of ads for them Hi, I'm Rue McClanahan and I am standing here in the desert of whatever and behind me is Biosphere 2 she records these ads I, it's yeah, crazy I've got to see these it's You've all in this documentary. I'll, yeah, I'll put okay. it in. I'll put it in. Yep. So celebrities were super excited about it because, I mean, unless you looked at the fine print, which nobody had at that stage, it really did seem like a legit scientific endeavour by scientists. Like I had heard about this over the years, like mm. just sort of in the periphery of my life, and I always assumed that it was like something that had been run by the government and NASA. Mm. Like I yeah. had no idea about it. And so I think they wanted it to seem that way and people back in the early 90s kind of thought it was that. The yeah. night before the eight Biospherians went to be locked inside for two years, they held a massive dance party outside the structure uh-huh. and 2,000 people came, including celebrities like Woody Harrelson. <laughs> so I think they just had like a major hippie, like everyone gets stoned and dance around this space thing, man. That feels like his lane, yeah. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So on the day, the eight people are going to go inside. All the world's press are there. Thousands of people are there. They stand there, they wave, literally like they're getting on a spaceship to Mm. go up into space and they all walk inside and then they go to close the door and the door won't close. (laughs) (laughs) Like it literally won't close. What an auspicious start. They're they're pulling it, they're pulling it. It's this big steel door and they're like, and it won't close. And then finally they kind of jimmy it shut and the camera pans over to Ed Bass and there's just this flicker of momentary concern Uh. in his eyes. Like, what have I given all my money to? And the one thing that struck me was... um, you know, the eight Biospherians were talking about how they hated the press and Mm. they just wanted to get in there and start doing their important scientific work. And um, one of the women said, when we finally got in and away from the press, I went and turned the rain on because I wanted to wash all of that negativity away. And I just sort of thought, I don't really understand science, Mm. but I feel like the rain shouldn't be something you can just turn on. Like, shouldn't they have been able, shouldn't they have come up with a schedule of like it rains at this time and it yeah. doesn't at this time? And it do- She's like, I just want to turn the rain on. Should have been randomised if you, okay. But yeah, I, don't, mm. I mean, but I mean, but then I don't understand science, but I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> I guess okay. they were thinking if they were, it was all going to be some sort of controllable structure that they'd be putting on a different planet. Right, they wouldn't yeah. be at oh, the whims of weather and whatnot. So I guess. no, but they're not. At, but inside, they're not at the whims of weather. Like it, uh, yes, it's a it they 
it's a controllable structure on the inside, but not really. Like they should just schedule rain the way nature needs rain to happen. It shouldn't just be like, I can go turn on rain when I feel like it. That's not how the world works. It's not meant be- to completely replicate the world. <laughs> but in a shitty sequel, they can come up with these different sorts of rules of life. Well, and they're wanting to recreate sure. these spheres on different planets, right? Where yeah. they, and inside the spheres, they're going to have that level of control. But at any rate. No, but that's what I'm saying. There shouldn't be a level of control inside the spheres. Like, because human environment doesn't have a level of control. So if they are creating these spheres to go on other planets, these spheres should have an environment and an atmosphere inside them that replicates Earth's so that plants grow the way they're meant to grow. If you Mm -hmm. can just go and turn on rain, you're going to mess up the delicate balance. Mm -hmm. It should be programmed to rain only when nature needs it to rain mm-hmm. inside. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, yeah. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. <laughs> when she said that, I was like, you can't just go and, you shouldn't be able to. Just, anyway, <laughs> so they do start to learn a lot about environment, the environment when they're in there. They're mm-hmm. like, you know, every time you breathe, like the CO2 you breathe out is needed by that tree over there, which then converts it into that kind of thing for the soil. And then the soil is what we use to grow and eat things. And then when we eat things, we breathe out and then it goes to that tree over there. And they're like, oh, the cycle goes on and on. And scientists are like, yeah, but that's not new information. <laughs> like we, we know this. You're not there to figure out how the environment works. Mm. Like, you are there to figure out how to make it work in this tiny building <laughs> so we can then take it to other planets or whatever. And the plant the plant lady, the one who took care of the fish, she does a phone interview with some news show and she's like, I am very connected to every plant in here. Every plant I've touched, every plant I've propagated. Every plant is part of me. It's like they're basically city hipsters on a farm for the first time, like Mm. going, whoa, the food we're eating is the food I picked out of the ground today. Like I'm one with nature. Like they're having all these like mind-blowing realizations about how like nature works and all these scientists on the outside are going, yeah. <laughs> You're giving us answers to questions that have already been answered. Yeah. Thank like, you. It's just, I, it, it honestly is just a bunch of city slickers who are in on a farm for the first time. And so <laughs> scientists are like, okay, you've been there a week and you've discovered that nature is important to live, but mm. how are you going to make this work long term? Mm. But they just keep saying, get this. They don't care about conventional science. Mm. They say they're rewriting the rules of science. Mm. Mm. But, like, that's not how science works. No. You can't rewrite Far the rules from of science. It. No. Mm. So, this is a quote I love. One of the people involved with the project said, With conventional scientific thinking, you have official hypotheses and such. But a lot of what we did was based on a different way of doing science. The idea was, here's all this stuff. What's going to happen? That's their definition of science. This is like a prelude to alternative <laughs> facts with this it really alternative is. science. Like, <laughs> Guaranteed these are the kinds of people who would have gone full QAnon these days. Oh, 100%. Big time. Yes. So two weeks into the experiment, so two weeks of being inside Biosphere 2, two weeks into what is a two-year stay in which Mm. they're not allowed out, a woman called Jane cuts off the tip of her finger in a grain chipping machine, so like like a little mini wood chipper. Mm. Yeah, it would have been good if they had like a proper doctor and not a 60-year-old whack job. So he (laughs) tries to reattach her finger, but he can't, and they don't know what to do. So they decide she has to leave the leave biosphere two to get she needs surgery Mm. so they decide okay we're gonna have a pr person meet her at the door not leave her side she'll go to the hospital she'll get the surgery she'll come back and so they do that she goes Mm. she has the surgery she comes back but when she comes back in she takes in a duffel bag of supplies oh contraband 
And also she's incapacitated after her surgery and one of her main jobs was um, planting and cultivating crops on the farms Mm -hmm. that they needed to eat. So then they all had to do extra work to pitch in to Mm -hmm. take up her work. And so then resentments started. Uh-huh. And then, so, res- and they're only two weeks in and resentments have already started. Not surprised at all. What was in the duffel bag, do we know? Was it like chocolate, I'll, cigarettes? I'll, okay. Oh, yeah. I'll get to that later. So, chocolate and cigarettes. <laughs> so, then, because biological reactions and ecological reactions in soil aren't what they anticipated because they're not scientists, <laughs> the CO2 in the air, so the mm. carbon... Is that what it dioxide in the air starts spiking to dangerous levels inside biosphere two. Uh And a huge part of their promise to the world and to the media and what made it all so impressive is that no fresh air from the outside world will ever be put into the biosphere because they are replicating what it would be like if this was sitting on the moon. Mm. So they have to live with only what is inside their giant glass dome. Mm -hmm. And so if it's, you know, replicating Earth, it needs to develop its own oxygen from its own atmosphere, from the plants they plant and from the trees they have. But like the scientists had been trying to tell them, it is almost impossible to come up with the intricate balance you need Mm. to replicate the Earth's atmosphere. That's why there's only one Earth in Mm. the whole galaxy Mm. that can sustain human life. Like, this is harder to do than you think, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But then they say, no, no, but you don't understand. You don't understand. The idea is, here's all this stuff. What's going to happen? And it's like, what's going to happen is you're going to die. That's what's going to happen. So the spike in the CO2 came about because there was something in the soil, some oxygen sucking organism that they hadn't anticipated Mm. because they're not freaking scientists or botanists Mm. or whatever. Um, And the spike of CO2 in the air got so bad that they started suffocating. Like they said they couldn't finish a whole sentence without stopping to take a breath. Mm. They could only take stairs like one or two at a time because they were out of breath. The crops start dying. The bees Mm. all die, which Mm. as we know on earth, you need the bees. That's a problem, yeah. All their bees die. They get inundated with cockroaches and ants. Only random things grow. So at one point only beetroot grows. So they only eat beetroot for like two weeks. And at another point they figure out how to like grow some potatoes. So they eat like potatoes for a week. Does the outside world know about this while it's going on? No. So here's the thing. Like they made it all glass so that they wanted tour groups to come. So Mm. people were coming and people were like school, like buses of school Mm. kids, high school kids, media could go around and look and knock on the thing like the chicken finding Nemo, like fishy, fishy, (laughs) fishy. Like, so there's all these kids constantly looking in and pointing at them. So they sort of had to put on a happy face, Mm. but you know, they're starving. It got to a point where they started eating seeds that hadn't been planted yet because they had nothing else to eat. So they're starving. They're suffocating. They look emaciated, which you know, it makes the weird doctor really excited because he's all like, this will prove my theory that the Mm. least amount of calories possible (laughs) makes us immortal. (laughs) So like the one man meant to be keeping them healthy is a total nutter. Mm. But one guy in the group does the math and he's like, if I keep losing weight at the rate I am that he says is fine, I will be minus 90 pounds when I leave the biosphere in two years. So I don't know if this doc is on the level. So things are really grim and they start to turn on each other. And the group of eight splits into two factions. Mm -hmm. So there's one faction that is like, we need outside help. We need air. We need food. Like we can still do experiments and learn things from being in here, Mm. but we need help. And the other faction is totally against that. They're like, no, the point of this is to survive in here for two years without help. We can't have any help. Mm -hmm. And here's where the press starts to find things out. So here's where it comes out in the news that when Jane came back from her surgery, she snuck in a duffel bag of supplies. Mm -hmm. And it turns out in that duffel bag was um, not even much exciting stuff. It was like some extra film for the camera. Mm -hmm. It was some extra clothes. Um, She'd brought in some seeds. But the point was in the news, 
news, it was like, gotcha, you said mm. nothing from the outside and now we know that there is. And so when the press found out about that, it kind of snowballed. It just started this snowball of negative press. So a bunch of the scientists who'd been trying to tell them for months that the whole thing was dodgy, the media then starts going back to them going, "Mm, tell us more about that. We're sick Mm. of being positive about this. We want to be negative about it now. Mm. And so a bunch of scientists um, say that they quit the week before Biosphere 2 launched because it was decided the week before to put a CO2 scrubber inside the Biosphere, Mm. which is a machine that kind of um, minimizes CO2, which yep. just does not replicate the Earth's atmosphere. So the scientists mm. were like, that is cheating. That goes against the point of the whole thing. Yep. So um, a bunch of scientists quit because of that. Then the media finds out that when the CO2 situation got really bad, they had brought in trucks of liquid oxygen and sprayed it into the vents. <laughs> so that the eight biospherians would finally get oxygen. And Mm. they said it was like the best day of their lives. You went from barely being able to breathe to suddenly feeling like Mm. you were a person again. They all like ran down to where the oxygen was coming in through the vents and were just like breathing it in like they were desperate. Mm. Um, The press also finds out that secret food drops were happening Uh and all of this was happening with the knowledge of the faction that wanted it but not with the knowledge of the other four who didn't want it. Uh So then when they find out that that's been going on, fights start happening more and more between the two groups inside Uh and the bad press at this point won't stop. So when it like gets out that they've been getting all this extra help, people start saying, well, like, is this actually worth all the money then? Like I thought Mm. this was some brilliant science, like, feet of science and it turns out that within two weeks you were sneaking stuff back in Mm. and it's now been months and it turns out they've been getting secret stuff the whole time like this seems kind of dodgy what are we actually learning here like this seems like a 500 million dollar summer camp for some Mm. hippies (laughs) and it's It's at this point to lord of the flies exactly tribes forming and at this point ed bass the billionaire is finally like wait a second you're right Like the science doesn't really seem to be adding up on any of this. And so he goes against John Allen's wishes and Ed Bass, I guess, because when you're a billionaire at the end of the day, money talks and he's like, I'm losing money on this and we're looking stupid. So he goes against John Allen's wishes and he decides to put together an outside advisory board of actual scientists, actual Mm -hmm. botanists, ecologists, experts to Mm. look at all the data, to look at the design that the 19-year-old boat maker who decided she was an architect (laughs) made, look at everything they've done so far, Mm. look at everything that's happened inside the biosphere so far because they've now been in there for 18 months. Wow. And he's like, I want actual scientists to get together and look at just everything and tell me what the situation is. I can Mm -hmm. no longer get my facts from the man who started a theatre group called the Theatre of All Possibilities. (laughs) And so they get together and they go over everything and they, when they're ready to tell him, they pull him into a meeting and they're like, Ed, buddy, it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's really bad. You're achieving nothing. None of this makes sense. This is basically kids playing pretend science. (laughs) Like you have wasted so much money. You need to overhaul this whole thing. Like you need to make sure that like, if you want to not lose everything, you need to completely change the way you're doing this from letting the hippies run around doing what Mm. they feel like to having actual scientists in there doing proper work. Mm. And, you know, he's in it for the money at the end of the day. And he was convinced that he was investing in actual scientific innovation because he was only listening to the lead hippie. Mm. And so then he's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to listen to what these scientists are actually telling me. And John Allen, the head of the cult or group, Mm. loses it. Because at the end of the day, he is a man with an ego and he was in charge of this group and Mm. now Ed Bass is telling him, sorry, you can't be in charge anymore because everything you said is nonsense. And um, he loses it so much. He gets so angry that they're bringing in scientists to do conventional science (laughs) and not science the the way they decide it is. That um, 
one of the only actual scientists consultants who has stuck with them is this guy from Yale and he's been consulting for them the whole time. And when he sees John Allen lose it, when he loses control of the whole experiment, mm. he gets so unnerved by it. He goes to the press and says, I feel really stupid, but I think this man is crazy. I think he's delusional. I'm finally seeing that mm. he's like a weirdo cult leader. This guy is mm. nuts. And mm-hmm. so that's when Ed Bass realizes, oh God, I've invested hundreds of millions of dollars of my money with an experimental theatre hippie group. (laughs) The press is ragging on the whole thing. What was really exciting and it was all like science innovation at the start when they were going in, now they're about to come out and the press is, but they're a laughing stock in the press. Everyone is just saying this is a bunch of hippies who effed it up and needed help the whole way through and this billionaire wasted all his money. How embarrassing. Had to happen. It was inevitable. They still have on the on the two year day. So they after two years when they come out, mm. Ed Bass still lets them have the big ceremony because they still sort of need to keep up appearances. So there's this big ceremony. They come out, but the day after they all come out, he Ed Bass fires the whole board of the mm-hmm. company, which is made up of synergians, made mm-hmm. up of the experimental theatre hippies. He puts actual scientists on the board, mm-hmm. which makes John Allen furious because actual science, please. He fires John Allen as boss and puts in, this is a bizarre detail, Steve Bannon to take over. (gasps) Get out. So at the time in the early 90s, or it was 1993 at this point, I think, Steve Bannon was a finance guy Mm. who was known for um, being hired to come in and rescue companies that were going down the toilet. So he would either overhaul them and get them back into shape or say, this is done for, sell it. So he was like a f- company fixer. Mm-hmm. So Steve Bannon comes in and he, you know, says, okay, here's what we need to do. We need to change the direction of this whole thing from figuring out how to send hippies to live in space to studying the effects of climate change because Mm. you've got this facility here where you've created an atmosphere. You can manipulate carbon dioxide so you can see what the effects of high CO2 does. And this is where a lot of people have said, like for those of you who don't know, Steve Bannon was... um, essentially the architect of Donald Trump's presidential run. He was Donald Trump's main advisor in the lead up to his um, winning the 2016 election. And a lot of people have said that um, knowing him back then when he worked on Biosphere 2, they know that he believes in climate change and they know that he overhauled that whole company saying it's really important that we can use this facility to learn more about climate change and learn Mm. more about what we can do to save the planet. And so looking at him now working with Donald Trump saying climate change is a hoax and they're like, we know he's smarter than that Mm. and that he's just cynical and he's just saying what he needs to say to... Just selling out. Mm. Yeah, selling out. So, yeah, he says we need to change his direction. Like this could be a premium scientific place where we can do learn great things Mm. it just doesn't need to be this bizarre publicity stunt with this hippie group get rid Mm. of them Mm. and so they do they get rid of anyone who was part of like Synergia they get rid of all the theater people a couple of them stay in there one guy um, stayed in and would carry a secret tape recorder with him everywhere he went because he was like trying to help the cult but really it just became a group a science group, a science company, Mm. and they decide to launch another mission and they're going to send people to live inside Biosphere 2 for 10 months. Mm -hmm. But two months in, two of the people who had been in Biosphere 2 decide that they're against the new conventional science (laughs) direction Mm. of the project. Mm. They break into Biosphere 2 to let oxygen in (laughs) to ruin the experiment and they run in to warn the new Biospherians in there that everything's changed, man. They're changing the way we did science, man. They're wrecking it, man. (laughs) And so they get arrested and the new Biospherians decide, they're like, okay, well, we're actual scientists, so we're going to stay in here and just keep doing it. But then after a few months, it's just, it's the company's hemorrhaging money. Mm. It's a joke. They can't really save it. And so Steve Bannon decides, you know, he talks to Ed Bass and they're like, we need to just dissolve this company and pull the plug on all of it. So they pull Mm. the people who are in Biosphere 2, they pull them out 
and they dissolve the company and they sell Biosphere 2 to Columbia University uh-huh. who use it as, you know, a science facility and they keep it intact mm-hmm. and their science, you know, their ecological students, their biology students, their, you know, all, all of those science fields. They all use Yeah, they all use <laughs> the facility to learn more about the things and they they do cool stuff like they manipulate the atmosphere to see what the reactions are so they can mm-hmm. learn more about the earth and how things would work and stuff and then after a while Columbia University decides they um, want to sell it it was like for a while almost was going to get knocked down it was going to become apartments or something but then um Ed Bass, bless him, it holds a special place in his heart and I think he still Mm. does feel like an ecopreneur at the end of the day. (laughs) So he gets the University of Arizona to buy it and he gives them a $20 million endowment to help run it for their Mm -hmm. science department. So um, it's still there. And one of the reasons I decided to do this story, Just the Gist, is because Mm. I saw on TikTok this amazing TikTok of people doing tours in Biosphere 2. And it is so amazing in there. It really is like you were in a mini universe Uh like the coral reef is still living wow the rainforest is still living like you can still walk through the farming areas and the crops and it's really cool in there like and um the university of arizona is is keeping it running and Mm -hmm. doing experiments and stuff the original synergians biospherians the members of the theater of all possibilities (laughs) they went back to the ranch in New Mexico, mm. Synergia, and they have lived there together ever since. Get out. Yeah. Wow. John Allen, John Allen is in his 90s. He still has devotees who are there living with him. The doctor who thought he'd lived to be 120 died aged 79 from ALS, so didn't quite make it. <laughs> What's ALS? Uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, you know that thing where everyone did the ice bucket challenge a few years ago? Oh, okay. It's like a, neuro, a nerve kind of, it's extremely awful, painful, horrible way to die. Oh, it's that's terrible. Um, I was really yeah. hoping he would die in a funny way so I could make fun of it. But mm. no, he didn't make it to 120 and he died in a really awful, horrible way. And probably had quite a miserable life eating one hard boiled egg a day. Yeah. Oh, I doubt he'd even have that much. So, yeah, they still live there on this ranch. The woman who um, looked after the fish in fourth grade and was in charge of all the plants now runs a community garden quite nearby in a place called Oracle so she can still visit the ranch all the time. And I know all of this about them because, of the you know, I did I read a lot of articles and stuff for this, but the best piece of research I had for this, just mm-hmm. the gist, was the documentary mm-hmm. called um, Spaceship Earth, which is only a couple years old. So all the interviews with the past um, Biospherians, mm-hmm. Synergians, um, were only done like two years ago. And they all still talk about the project with a lot of pride. And they all talk about it like it was the greatest thing they ever did and that they're angry <laughs> that you know, corporate America took over and ruined it and that it could have been something great if, you know, they had have just been left alone to do their thing. Which, that's such a ridiculous stance to take. I'm not surprised given what we've heard about them that that is the, cha- <laughs> the stance that they're choosing to take. Yeah. But, oh, my, you were cheating. They were all cheating. Yeah. They were, well, but they didn't think so. They genuinely thought they were smarter than everyone else, like... You, you know, I say it again, they they had a better way of doing science. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, um, you know, the end of the documentary is quite sweet, actually. They're all sitting at the um, ranch. John Allen's very old. He's in his 90s and they're all just sitting around this table drinking wine together as the sun goes down, um, having a lovely time. And um, I thought I'd end on this quote that I read in an article about it all um, from the New York Times. It says, 
It would be a mistake to dismiss Biosphere 2 out of hand. For two years, eight people grew papayas, beets, bananas, rice and a host of other crops in there. Except for a sliced finger, their health remained Mm. good, except they were starving. The water they drank didn't poison them. Some species went extinct, but the ecosystems endured. Biosphere 2 did not turn to slime. As a piece of scientific research, Biosphere 2 had its problems. Countless things were happening all at once inside its walls, making it hard to pinpoint causes and effects. And without any other biospheres to compare it to, there was no way to distinguish random flukes from significant patterns. The University of Arizona scientist Bob Fry summed it up well in a newspaper interview. It's an experiment, but only in the sense that life is an experiment, (laughs) (laughs) which I think as the scientist who works at the university who now owns the biosphere is a very generous way of putting it. It it truly was just, it was a, I think in the end, a social experiment more than a scientific one. Agreed. Yes. There were no controls in place. There was no rigor applied. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) That's actually nice But I do just... I strongly recommend just going online and Googling Biosphere 2 and going and looking at video footage of it. As someone who is obsessed with Polly Pockets, it truly (laughs) is the world's biggest Polly Pocket. It is the world's biggest Polly Pocket. It's so cool. Like the rainforest is amazing. The coral reef is amazing. It, it, It is like a little universe inside this big glass dome. Mm. It's truly is. Yeah. The world's biggest, coolest Polly Pocket. Um, and so that is just the gist of Biosphere 2, the science experiment you've never heard of because it probably wasn't really science. <laughs> no, that's not science, but wow, that's a great story. And I'm definitely going to go watch that documentary. Oh, Spaceship you- Earth. It's, um, you do have to rent it, but you can rent it on Amazon Prime or YouTube. It's like six bucks mm. or something. So good. It is so good. And then good. go and watch Biodome because... Biodome, yes, I want to watch it now. So the now. concept of Biodome um, is that Stephen Baldwin and Paulie Shaw, they're these like stoner <laughs> dropout losers who think that the Biodome grand opening is a new mall that's opening up. And so they go and check it out <laughs> and they sort of sneak inside the Biodome. And then once it's all sealed up, they're like, oh God, now we've got these two uh, extra idiots in here. And of course they screw everything up. And then I won't give away hilarious. the ending, but it actually has a nice happy ending. But Biosphere 2 is like all eight of them were the idiots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, in the movie, they're all actual scientists. Look, that's that's probably, I'm probably being a bit harsh. They weren't idiots. Like they were smart people, but they weren't scientists. It kind of reminds me of, oh, I don't mean for this to sound bitchy, which is what everyone says when they're about to say something yeah. bitchy. But you know how it's been in the news the last few weeks because um, Keeping Up With The Kardashians has come to an end that Kim Kardashian has been studying, decided she wants to be yeah. a lawyer and she's been studying law for the last few years um, with this special, like, I don't know what university she's doing. it. She's basically just hired private tutors to teach her the law degree, like a yep. law degree. And she has failed her first year law exams twice mm-hmm. now. And I think you're only allowed to fail it like three times before they say, sorry, this just might not be mm-hmm. for you. And I was watching her, like she's apparently worked really hard and she's got all the money in the world. Like she is spending so much money on lawyers and tutors and professors sitting with her for hours Mm -hmm. every day, teaching her this law degree and she can't even pass her first year exams. It's like some things are more complicated than you think they are. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like you cannot just say I want to be a scientist or I am an architect or I want to be a lawyer. And then you just are one. Mm. Like you cannot, there's, there are some things that you cannot throw money at and get them. Mm. And I feel like I, I love that Kim Kardashian is trying to, you know, change the direction of her life and do more meaningful that she's gotten very into prison reform and into freeing people who've been unfairly in prison for minor drug crimes and things, which is great. And that's what made her decide to, she wanted to be a lawyer, but it's like, I hope she passes. I do. But watching her talk about the fact that she's failed twice now, her first year, 
I'm like, there are some things that money cannot buy. Mm. And the Biosphere 2 is the perfect example of that. Like they wanted to be scientists. They wanted to play pretend at, you know, being space, you know, researchers. And they had billions of dollars given to them to do it, but they still couldn't do it Mm. because nothing can replace that level of intelligence and hard work that you need. Like like, I will never be smart enough to be a doctor. I could pay a billion dollars to people to teach me and I would not be able to do mm. it. You know yeah, what I mean? Not everything I don't is know what I'm everyone. getting at here. Like, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but do you get the vibe of what I'm I saying? I totally do. And, you know, when we were growing up and our parents would tell us, you can be anything you want to be. That was a lie. Not everyone can do well, anything. I mean, yeah. It, there are certain things I just, that yeah, your, I've, you know, natural talents and abilities are going to lean you towards and... They weren't scientists and it doesn't seem like Kim is a lawyer, but we'll Mm. see. I mean, I just, I I have found it really fascinating hearing her talk about the amount of money and time and elite, like, can you imagine having private law tutors sitting with you eight hours a day? Like people would kill for Mm. that. And she's got that. And she still can't pass. Uh, mm, I don't know. I I feel we. I feel like this is mean. I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just there's something there to that that reminds me of Biosphere too. Yeah. I mean, they say to develop a skill, it's a combination of talent and effort. If you've got a lot of natural talent, yeah. you won't have to put in a lot of effort. If you don't have the talent, you have to compensate with the effort. Sometimes though, you're deficient in both. As in, like, yeah, there's you know, not a lot of talent there naturally. And then trying to compensate for that with effort, it's actually still just too hard a skill to master for you to be able to just rely on hard work to get Mm. there. Um, And that's something to come to terms with. Like if it's not happening, if you're not developing the skill, then, um, you know, even experts in the field of, you know, perseverance and stick-to-itiveness like Angela Duckworth Mm. will say you know, it's just diminishing returns now yeah. and it's time to realise that there's a losing battle you're in on the yeah. losing side and you'll find something that's going to bring you more joy because it's more fulfilling because you're going to find it easier to succeed at it. And there is, I think, a certain lesson that uh, there's a certain kind of uh, lesson of life that people with a lot of money I think probably don't get the chance to learn that they are poorer for not getting the chance to learn, which is that money can't buy you whatever you Mm. want. Like, and I think Kim is learning that with her law degree Mm -hmm. now. And the biosphere people learned that when they were like, we've got this guy giving us billions of dollars. I can say I'm an architect. Mm. I can say I'm a botanist. And it's like, no, it all fell apart in less than two Mm. weeks. And then you just faked it the rest of the time like it's yeah yeah. Mm. (laughs) very interesting fascinating i don't know that was such an amazing story and i can't wait to find out more well done thank you yeah everyone go it's just yeah the coolest footage it's it's one of those things that it's a science thing so i thought i wouldn't be interested Mm. in it but it's kind of not a science thing so yeah i'm dying to know more i'm dying (laughs) to go go there. there They do tours. You can go there and do tours. I would love to go there. It'd be like the one chance I would get to be inside a Polly Pocket. <laughs> or, although, isn't that just being inside a house? <laughs> am I in a Am I in a human sized Polly Pocket right now? Polly, right <laughs> oh now, my god. right this moment. Oh my god, we sound. It's like I'm high and I've just like <laughs> stumbled upon a really crazy Jacob. I live in a human size. The world is a Polly Pocket. The world is Biosphere oh One. Oh my and god! Every Polly Pocket is a shitty sequel. I can't. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 bye, bye. Listener.